Hi folks, welcome to the Happy Saver podcast. Your friends might not want to talk about their journey with money, but I sure do. I'm Ruth and I'm a blogger on personal finance in New Zealand and in this podcast series I tell the stories of Kiwis and their experiences with the money in their lives. What were you doing at 23? I was still mucking around at uni and having a grand old time, but not today's guest. Callum was a fully qualified builder by the age of 19, and he took a step up into his second career by the young age of 21. Today, at just 23 years old, he has a net worth that would make others stand up and notice, and a whole heap of plans for the future where he takes every opportunity to grow his skills, invest carefully, and to spend mindfully. But before I get into it, let's hear from today's sponsor. If you have KiwiSaver, then listen up. If you don't have KiwiSaver, then really listen up. If life goes to plan, you can kick back and retire at 65. But you want to know that you have a bit of money set aside for when you get there, right? Well, that takes planning and you need to start right now. No more excuses. Superlife KiwiSaver Scheme is a low-fee provider that offers a broad range of investment options. You have the flexibility to create your own fund and you can change your investment strategy at any time absolutely free of charge or you can select a fund that is right for you. Contribute to it regularly, check on it from time to time using their awesome mobile app and just get on with living your life. I want you to get to 65 and the biggest gift is one you actually have given yourself, freedom from worrying about money in your retirement. Superlife KiwiSaver is managed by SmartShares and you can visit them at superlife.co.nz to download the product disclosure statement and sign up and transfer your KiwiSaver in mere minutes. Callum grew up on a family farm in Leeston, which is just south-east of Christchurch, and he went to school in that area. Now, his parents have more recently taken over his grandparents' farm, which started out, he told me, as a beef and crop farm, and now they are share milkers on the property, which is now mostly just dairy. Before settling back into the family farm, Callum and his parents and his older sister, they shifted house a lot as they moved around different farms in the area. Now, I don't claim to know much about farming, but apparently this is pretty common that you move around farms every couple of years, taking both your family and your cows with you. Now, like many young men, Callum, he got done with school just a little earlier than others, and he finished after year 12 when he was about 16, and he skipped his final year to go out instead and learn a trade. Now, because of the earthquakes in Christchurch, he said there was a really big movement to get people into building apprenticeships, so that was where he headed. And if you are not already aware, an apprenticeship is where you literally learn on the job and get paid, albeit at a lesser rate while you're learning. Now, while While working, you have to complete a number of skills and tasks, so it's a bit of a mix of working and studying at the same time, and as soon as you get fully qualified, you generally can increase your income. As soon as he began to train to be a builder, he just wanted to get the apprenticeship finished, so he concentrated hard on learning all that practical stuff like how to swing a hammer, or probably more commonly a nail gun these days, and also how to complete the paperwork side of things too. He knocked it out in three and a half years and he could then call himself a qualified builder. He liked the people he worked uh, for and that had guided him through his apprenticeship, so he continued on building for them for another year or two. 
Now, a definite downside for employers who take on an apprentice and bring them up through the ranks with training is that just when they hit the point of being a really useful member of the team, they do sometimes look to further horizons and then move on and take those skills and all of that training with them. And that was to be the case with Callum, and he didn't settle into his job for the next 10 years. Instead, he kept looking for an opportunity, and because the Christchurch earthquakes effectively meant that the entire city had to be rebuilt, there were a lot more opportunities around for a young guy to get a lucky break. He saw an advertisement for a building inspector at the Christchurch City Council and even though they were calling for people with 10 years of building experience, which he clearly did not have, he decided to just give it a go. But they took him on anyway and when we spoke he had just ticked up two years of working there. But once again, he has not settled and he has certainly not stopped learning. He told me that the council is a really great place to work and that they really look after you. And in a short time there, he has completed a diploma through the council, which was actually a requirement for him to be able to do his job. And they paid for his training, which amounted to about a $30,000 qualification. Now, in order for him to complete the coursework, they gave him a paid half day every single week off his main job to enable him to study. And when he completed it, yep, they gave him a pay rise to boot. And as he is a residential building inspector, they are also training him to work on more and more complex builds and he's already now qualified enough to work on the more architectural or complicated builds. And each time he steps up his learning, they step up his pay rate, which in his words, he is absolutely stoked about. This is certainly the best job he has had to date in the seven short years that he has been in the workforce. He really likes not working on the tools anymore, but he enjoys the fact that he gets to still stay very much in the construction industry and he gets to be a part of a wide range of building projects and he particularly enjoys the more detailed architectural houses. And when he became a fully qualified builder, he was given a work van to use to drive from job to job and keep his tools in. And at that stage, he was on about $22 per hour, but he recalls that he was doing a lot more hours than he currently does. So what is this 23-year-old actually earning now? Well, Callum, he didn't want to share his exact number, which is a shame because it could give other young men and women like himself something to aim for, but I can tell you that he is now earning significantly more than he was expecting and has a car that he can use for work purposes too. And he told me that his before-tax pay is over $60,000 per year, but under one hundred. But I'm sensing a trend with Callum here. Instead of plateauing, he instead looks forward and thinks, what's next? As part of his role at work, every three months he is required to sit with his manager at a review and actively look at what work he has been doing and what is expected of him going forward. Now Callum is constantly asking what skills does he need to acquire to do better at work and they openly discuss his salary and he asks what he needs to do to earn more. And because of his drive to get better, he has taken on a lot of extra work over and above what is required of him in his current role. So for example, after the Kaikoura earthquakes in 2016, he got sent up there to survey houses and to help out in the community and he found it to be a really good experience and he feels he went the extra mile to be useful. He was also given an opportunity to look at historical jobs the council had completed where they needed to look at financial components of inspections and because he has really good computer skills and he can use spreadsheets, he spent a good month helping out there. So he puts his name forward for a lot of extra stuff and it shows that he is keen to help rather than just do the job and go home. And employers notice this and they reward it with a high responsibility and remuneration. And to support this view, 
A recent conversation with colleagues made him realise that for others that joined up on the same day as him, he is now on a higher pay rate than them. So what's a 23-year-old to do with such a good income? Well, he won't be doing what the younger Callum used to do, that's for sure. I asked him if there was one key moment where he decided to become good with money, and was it innate or just a gradual awakening? He thinks that he has always been relatively good to a certain extent, but uh, when he got his first full-time building job in his late teens, he got really into his cars, as a lot of young people tend to do, particularly guys. And at the time, half of his mates were at university and half were, like him, in trade jobs. Now, the uni guys had no money and the others all had more money due to working full-time. And the rent was cheap, the food budget was low and he didn't buy gadgets. But looking back on it, he has managed to buy and sell 26 cars all up. Yep, you heard me right. 26 cars by the age of 23. He would buy one, add a few bits and pieces to it and flick it off. I called it zhuzhing them up, but apparently the correct terminology is actually modification. And he said it got to the point that each time he got a new set of wheels, he would ring up his insurer to let them know and they would have a laugh with him as they asked him what on earth he had purchased now. Now, all up, he reckons he never sold one for a profit and he probably lost about $40,000 in the process. Things began to change when he came out of his building apprenticeship and he wanted to buy yet another vehicle, this time a ute, because every bloke apparently needs a ute. And while he was saving up for it, he used a work-supplied car and just from having the use of this, he realised that he was actually saving money. He did go ahead and buy the ute, which he paid about $12,000 cash for, but he made no modifications to it and he stopped buying more vehicles and he started to save. And because he had the work car, he realised that he used his own ute less and less. So he sold it and he bought a cheap runaround for $6,000. It was a Subaru legacy for those who are interested. And today he uses this in the weekends and his work car during the week. So his greatest financial flop is a four-letter word, cars. He said that he wasted so much money that it actually makes him feel a bit sick. It's not just the amount of cars he bought, it's also the fact that he just wanted to move to the next car so fast that he didn't even wait to get a decent offer. He lost money on each and every one and he also spent additional money doing each and every one up before flicking it off. And sticking with cars for a moment longer, every cloud has a silver lining and his was the fact that his parents conveniently never told him about credit and buying things like cars on tick. His mum is actually a trained accountant, so that might have had something to do with it, go mum. So he might have lost a lot of money, but at least it was not borrowed of money. He simply didn't know about it until a bit later on when he watched his friends tick up cars like a V8 Commodore for $30,000 paying 17% interest. And even when he watched his mates do this, he didn't actually take much notice that they were lending the money, but he did have a feeling at the time that it was probably not a good idea. So for himself, he has never had any debt with all of these cars. He's always paid cash, which I think makes him unusual and a role model to others. And with his mate and the V8, he was actually far more concerned about the price of the petrol to run the thing, not the ongoing car repayments. I've spoken to a debt collector and he says that young people buying a car on credit is often the slippery slope that leads him to chasing them for money. After a short while they miss a payment, then two, then their car is repossessed and they have no car but they still have the debt which is where he gets acquainted with them and he sees it time and time again. So 
so sorry, I got a wee bit sidetracked there because I probably like cars a bit too. Um, so back to my question, what is he doing with his money? Well, that leads nicely onto asking Callum what are his three main financial habits, things that he just automatically does. Firstly, uh, now that he is working a steady job, he has a steady salary and is on a fixed rate. So when he was a builder, his pay went up and down week by week. And now he gets paid the same amount each fortnight on a Tuesday. And all of that money is immediately allocated into various savings and investments, leaving himself with only $100 in that particular account by the Wednesday. Secondly, he has an automatic payment to pay his rent and third is that money heads off into a variety of savings accounts and to break it down a bit further, he has quite a bit going on with his money and he invests into quite a few things on a monthly basis. He first made a start with SmartShares index funds and is invested in the Top 50 fund and the US 500 fund. Then he got involved with Superlife where he has a mix of 60% in a total world fund, 15% in a New Zealand mid-cap fund and 15% in New Zealand dividends and then a final 10% in a global bond fund. His Kiwi saver used to be with the BNZ and he has since switched it to a Simplicity Growth Fund and he also has a Simplicity Growth Fund outside of Kiwi Saver, meaning that money is not locked away till retirement. And just a side note on his KiwiSaver, he started his fund when he got his first job and his mum took him into his bank and they both stressed that he should not stay in a default fund. So from the beginning, he invested in a growth fund based on this early advice that he was given. And it's paid off by giving him far better returns. So once again, great work, Callum's mum. He said that smart shares actually frustrates him because they withdraw the money from your account on the 20th of the month, but it does not show up in your investments until the 5th of the following month. And he is now actually preferring super life because he can make a deposit at any time of the month and there is only a one to two day delay before you see it in your investment and you don't have to wait around until the 20th. He is thinking of staggering investing into each by investing in the smart shares on the 20th of the month and super life 15 days later. But then he wonders about how all of this actually works and is he just making his investing life unnecessarily complicated because he actually wants to keep things pretty simple. Now Callum also has an emergency fund with $10,000 in it and he's got that stashed in an account that penalises him if he withdraws money. Now if anyone in New Zealand is going to understand the importance of having an emergency fund, it's probably someone from Christchurch. I know that mine came in extremely useful after the earthquakes, but I hope for Callum's sake that he never has to use it. Now but wait, that is not all. He also has three term pies. And I'm not talking about the yummy things that you eat. Now, they are staggered and they mature at different times. Two have $40,000 in them and one has $20,000. And he told me that he is using pies or portfolio investment equities because he is in the upper tax bracket of 30%. And there are just marginal tax advantages of using these types of accounts over, say, a term deposit. And how did he learn this? Well, he actually went into his bank, sat down with them and asked them to explain it to him, which of course they willingly did. Now the money is invested in this way so that he could use it for a house deposit if the time was right. So all up, this 23-year-old has a pretty impressive net worth for someone of his age. Using his spreadsheet, he calculates his net worth on the 21st of each month and when we spoke it was sitting at $173,000, which is pretty good, huh? Now, I was interested to know what he is intending to do with this money in the years to come. And you guessed it, because we are in New Zealand, purchasing a rental house is on his horizon. But wait a minute, he is renting himself, so why not buy his own place? 
Although he rents, the landlords are never likely to give him any bother and sell his house out from under him because they are, in actual fact, his own grandparents. And on the far distant horizon, he and his sister are likely to inherit the house one day. Things might change, of course. Inheritance is never a guarantee. But he feels he should be fine. So with a secure roof over his head, that's just one less thing that he needs to worry about. A friend of his works and rents a home in Christchurch, but he is what Callum called rent vesting. And he has two rental properties in Timaru, a town which is about two hours south of where he lives. The houses are cheaper to buy and the rent he receives covers his own rent in the city and any mortgage payments. So most nights Callum is looking at houses to buy on the internet so he too could become a rent vester. He was on the brink of purchasing a while back and about to go unconditional on a property when the sale actually fell through, so he is pretty serious about purchasing property. His preference is to look for a house that he could rent out to, say, Housing New Zealand, and to not buy with the intention of just chasing capital gains, but instead to find a property that would actually earn him an income, and his intention would be to pay it off as quickly as possible in order to receive that income. He has never borrowed a cent before and has always had the notion to save up and pay cash, so taking on a mortgage would be his first foray into debt. And he said that having his deposit tied up at the moment in those pie funds is actually really good because it's stopping him buying the wrong thing and is instead making him research all of his options incredibly carefully. And in thinking about an option other than buying a rental property, he did also say that he is also leaning more towards shares as an investment because they are less stress than a property. Now, I'd be really interested to see if the longer he holds off, the better he sees his portfolio of investments performing, and that might sway him. But maybe that's just my own bias, which is actually against the endless buying of rental properties as the only way to get ahead in New Zealand. And his growing net worth is actually what he considers to be his biggest financial triumph. When his net worth hit $100,000, that was when he realised how much he actually had and he suddenly felt quite rich and he said it was actually quite a memorable day because up until that point, his saving was just ticking away and he was not taking too much notice of it. But when he hit that 100 k he really started to get more organised with his bank accounts and his investments. So today, his money elevator pitch, or a sentence that would sum up his approach to money, relates directly to his net worth, and he told me, it's what gets measured that gets improved, and even small changes can add up to very big results faster than you'd think. And furthermore, he wanted to add, it's better to have simple and achievable goals and a budget that you know you're going to stick to, rather than some big and unrealistic goal and really strict budgets that are difficult to maintain. But he wasn't done yet, he just wanted to lastly add, to not sweat the small stuff. As not everyone is perfect, as long as you are mindful of your decisions, you'll end up doing okay. I tell you, he's pretty clever for a 23-year-old. Now, he has already worked out that it's a good idea to reduce your expenses, increase your income, and invest the rest. And that way, you will create that gap and use that money to do other things. So rather than living solely in the now, which you still can to a point, he advises you and I to look long-term too, and those decisions will end up paying off 10 to 15 years down the track. That is good advice from a young guy, and if he has worked this out now, then he is going to be sorted for life, I reckon. So given that he has some pretty good advice for the rest of us, would he take his own advice? And what say he were given $10,000 right now, what would he do with it? He told me he would throw it all into one of his index funds, and apart from maybe going out for a nice dinner, there would be no other treat. He has a regular routine of buying into his index funds each and every month, and he does not need for anything else that he does not already have. 
and whom might he take out for this nice dinner? His girlfriend would probably be his pick. He has been with his girlfriend for three years now and she has recently completed her education and is now a qualified nurse working in a large retirement complex in Christchurch. Her journey is different to his and although they don't talk about money together that much, they are starting to. Now, more recently they were chatting and the fact that she had taken out a five to $6,000 personal loan when she left home and went flatting about four years ago, it came up in conversation. Now, each and every month a payment comes out of her account which had become such a routine that she actually barely took any notice of it. So together they checked the balance and after four years of repayments she still had $4,000 to go and she realised that she's already paid back way more than the original loan which came as a bit of a shock. She had never realised that she was barely paying it off and she had thought that it was under control as she had been making the minimum repayments that the bank had asked her for. So now she's making extra payments and is actively killing off this debt that has been sucking money out of her for all of these years. And this is a good lesson to learn young and it's great that they were talking about money. So if the conversation had not come up, how long would this have gone on for for her? He would love to see her also do well with money and he tries to point her in the right direction and he has mentioned to her that once her debt is paid off and apparently she's getting really close now with that personal loan, she might like to try using a company like Sharesies or Superlife so she could start to save and to learn about investing too. They also talked about phone plans recently and worked together to switch her to a more favourable plan and I admire Callum for his softly softly approach. Offering information if it's asked for or if it comes up in conversation, but not haranguing his girlfriend with saying what you want to do is, uh, because that would be a pretty quick way to piss your partner off, I'm sure. Callum therefore continues on his own path and on the advice of an advisor from his bank, he has more recently created his first will and also a de facto agreement with his girlfriend which will protect his net worth and protect him from taking on any debt that she may have and I can only assume that some delicate conversations were had around that. So does he have someone in his life who he can really openly talk about money and investing with? Well, kind of and not really seem to be the answer. He can speak to his parents and grandparents about the housing market as they are really interested in that as a form of investing. But he does not speak to anyone about the stocks or investing side of things. But instead, he's on online groups where you can get into some details, such as the Kiwi Mustachians Facebook group. And he has a work mentor that he can talk to a little bit about it, um, but he doesn't really have that person that he can just openly chat to and that annoys him a little bit because he has many investing questions he is confused about and would just like to chat to someone with knowledge about it but he understands it's personal to many it's, and it's not something that you can often just bring up in conversation. I was interested to ask Callum what he thinks the key to becoming a millionaire is and if this is even his goal. Now the way he has worked it out is that he needs to save 25 times his annual expenses and he needs to have them saved up and invested but it is his intention to aim to invest a lot more than he thinks he needs. He does not have a number in mind to hit but the key for him is consistent saving, smart investment and mindful spending. A lot of uni friends of his are looking to come up with the next big thing and their goal is to become as rich as they possibly can, whereas Callum's goal is to have enough to sustain his lifestyle and to have the freedom to do whatever he wants on any given day. I've been enjoying asking this next question, um, what is the most extravagant thing you have purchased for yourself in the last 90 days? And the reason is, I thought it would be a really simple question to answer, 
But every frugal person I talk to takes a really long time and a considered time to come up with their answer. So after a long pause, Callum told me that it was actually going out to dinner with his partner to celebrate her recent graduation. So what was one piece of advice, either good or bad, that his parents taught him about money and what does he wish they had taught him that he has since worked out for himself? His parents always drilled into him that if you want something, it's better to save up and pay cash. And the added benefit is that the whole time you are saving, you might get to your goal and realise that you don't even want that thing. Now, these days, he just wants for a lot less and he realises he gets a boost of happiness when he first purchases something. But within a very short space of time, it just seems pointless to now own that thing. So he has a three-day rule now. If he sees something, he waits three days. And if he still wants it, he gets it. And he tends to not buy much and he buys secondhand if he can find it. And this next question is aimed at someone typically older than Callum, but I was still interested to know that if he could retain all of the knowledge he has today regarding money and he could go back to his 15-year-old self and start again, what would he do, whether it be the same or something different? When Callum was in high school, he had a part-time job that earned him about $40 a week. If he was to do it again, he would make sure that every payday he would put at least some of it away into a savings account. And of course, he would not buy so many cars, but would instead buy an old and cheap Corolla for two to $3,000, and he thinks he would still be driving it today. Callum is always looking for more to do at work, but the same applies when he hangs up his pen and he goes home for the day. He's got a side hustle on the go, which is proving to be a bit of a good earner. On the family farm, there are a lot of windblown macrocarpa trees, and on nights and weekends, he has been cutting it up, drying it, and selling it for firewood, and so far, he has made about $10,000. But he has not stopped there, and he's been using his carpentry skills to make coffee tables, and these have made him an additional $5,000. And he really enjoys this for the physical aspect, and the creative aspect, and of course, the additional income that it's been generating. And does he have any other day-to-day tips for you and I to use? Well, through his work, a bank offered a no-fee credit card where he can get cash back on his purchases. So he's been using this, and of course he pays it off in full every month, but it's up for renewal in October, and this deal will come to an end. He is going to try his luck to secure it for another year, and if that doesn't work, he will drop it as the cashbacks of a couple of bucks here and there are just not worth it otherwise. And that's the thing with these cards. If you're a low spender like Callum, they actually make even less sense to use. Now, another cost-saving measure is that he often rings his power provider and he hits them up for a better deal, something I know I should do, but I never quite get around to. And Callum, he is a self-taught investor. He is considering finding an authorised financial advisor to guide him. But up until this point, he's muddled through things himself with input from his parents, grandparents, his bank, and also using blogs and forums. And on that, he gave me a few podcasts, blogs and books that he finds useful. And I'm going to link to these in my show notes at uh, thehappysaver.com. Now, he enjoys, uh, as many in the personal finance community do, the Mr. Money Mustache blog. Plus, he regularly listens to a heap of podcasts like Choose FI, Tim Ferriss, Freakonomics, Afford Anything, The Mad Scientist, Cooking the Books, which is a Kiwi one, and also when Jesse Mulligan talks to Mary Holm on Radio New Zealand. And that's also on a podcast too. And he's really into his books. In fact, the Christchurch Library just had a big book sale and every book was $2. He spent $54 on personal finance books by authors like Martin Hawes, Amanda Morell, Liz Coe and Mary Holm. 
when we spoke, he was just about to start reading a random walk down Wall Street. So it sounds like he's building himself a pretty good reference library. Now, that's a lot of info for you and I to absorb. But before I wrap up, here's a quick word from today's sponsor. They help me bring you this podcast for free, which is, of course, the exact amount of money we money conscious types like to spend. A huge thank you to Superlife KiwiSaver Scheme for helping me bring this episode to you today. Superlife is a low-fee provider that offers you a broad range of investment options to choose from within its Superlife schemes. To transfer your KiwiSaver in mere minutes, visit superlife.co.nz where you can also download the product disclosure statement. So I just wanted to finish up by saying a huge thanks to Callum for getting in touch with me and for so openly sharing his story. I hope that Callum's parents get to listen to this podcast, so don't be shy, Callum. Make sure you let them know about it, because I think his family are where his ability to be good with money stems from. It seems like they had a word in his ear at key points in his life and that he actually listened. Now, I bet if I was to speak to um, his mum, she might point out that there were many, many more points where he did not listen, like uh, his constant vehicle buying, but they must have insisted and persisted long enough because they guided him through his teenage years and into becoming an adult that I was extremely happy to have a chat to. Now, I regularly hear about parents who finance their kids into vehicles. So instead of working their butts off to save up enough to buy a car, their parents pay for it and then they work their butts off to pay their parents back over the coming years. But of course, they also need to make sure they earn enough to put petrol in the thing and insure it and what have you. Now, in my mind, this is just teaching kids to buy things on credit and not teaching them to save up and pay cash for what they want. From the age of 16, where they should be concentrating on the final years of schooling, they're instead needing to focus too on working a job because they are in debt to their parents. And this has the potential to set a pattern of buying what you can't afford for years to come. Callum's parents taught him well and when they didn't tell him about credit and lending but instead told him to save up and pay cash for things, they were doing him a huge favour. One of the key ways to save more is to earn more and Callum appears to always be actively looking for ways to do this. And this is a skill we could all use and it's in two parts in my mind. Ask yourself and your employer first, what new skills you may need to acquire to be a useful member of the team. And then once you get those skills, secondly, you need to straight up ask for a pay rise. How many of us sit hoping that the employer will notice that we're going the extra mile at work and that they'll just reward us for it? If you don't ask, you don't get. But just make sure that before you ask, you are actually worth it. And finally, when you hear his list of investments, it can sound kind of confusing if you were just starting out yourself. But I view investing as a slow and steady accumulation. You start with a bank account, then you join up to KiwiSaver, then as more money becomes available, you might start a term deposit with your bank. And then you start to wonder if there might be better returns elsewhere. So you track down a managed fund or an index fund and you start dripping money into there. So the layers actually just quietly build up and before you know it, you actually have a portfolio. And then what happens is over time, as you learn more and you start to look at this portfolio that you've created, you start to get more intentional with it. And that's where Callum finds himself now. He's worked himself into an excellent position for a 23-year-old, no doubt about it. But he knows there is room for tweaking and changing. And because he is forever learning, this portfolio is likely to change. And whether it's done purely by himself or with the help of an authorised financial advisor will remain to be seen. But all I know is that he seems to have the building blocks 
just right. Many, or probably most of us, don't work out the basics of consistent saving, smart investing and mindful spending until much later in life. He's on the right path very early in life and I hope that he does find a tribe of people that he can share his knowledge with and that he gets the chance to just have an open and honest conversation with others about money at some point really soon. But in the meantime, I reckon he has done an excellent job with enlightening the rest of us about how we can make good money decisions in our own lives. And maybe a few of us should just flick this podcast onto a teen or a young adult in our lives. So that's all from me this week. I'll be back next Wednesday with another money journey of another Kiwi. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please hit subscribe and it will automatically update in your podcast app each time I release a new episode. If you want to get in touch, you can find me at thehappysaver.com and I would love it if you could give me a five-star review in iTunes and share this with your friends. Those are the best ways that people can learn about my podcast and I would love it if you would talk more about money with your own friends and family and help me continue to help others be better with money. So until next time, happy saving.